And now, detailing success in PNS Double Black present the Rennie Doyle Podcast, a podcast for blue-collar entrepreneurs. Hosted by the detailer of Air Force One and founder of both detailing success and the detail mafia, Rennie Doyle. Hey, good morning, everybody. So this is a really cool episode. I've got a guest on that I'll, uh, I'll take and introduce in a, in a minute. Uh, but reacting versus responding. And um, hey, we got some real bad background noise in one of us. Yeah, is that Oscar? I'm not sure. I'm not sure. Oscar. Something's there. So we've got a really um, an interesting kind of podcast today where we're going to take in and talk about uh, reacting or being reactive versus responsive. And I've got a good friend of mine, uh, Oscar Hernandez, U.S. Marine, uh, worked his way up through the Marine Corps career. Uh, so we're going to we're going to talk about that from his perspective. I'll give a little bit of my input from my weekend warrior status and from 30 plus years of search and rescue and all of my stuff being a, a, uh, a deputy uh, here in San Diego County and up in Idaho. Oh, look, I fixed it. We're going to just talk about uh, on that. So uh, so with that, uh, good morning, Oscar. You want to introduce yourself real quick? Good morning. How are you doing, Chris Rennie? Hey. Uh, good morning, ladies and gentlemen. My name is Oscar Hernandez, uh, owner-operator 805 Detail Shop, uh, Buffer Shine West Coast sales rep right now, and um, pleasure to be here, guys. It's always fun to come on with you guys and talk. Yeah, this gonna be this could be fun. So we uh first before we before we before we go, did you guys listen to music this morning? Uh just just our little opening tune there. I haven't had any time to listen to music yet this morning. Oscar, did you listen to music this morning? Actually I did. I was listening to some oldies. What were you listening up. to? Easy like Sunday morning. Oh, there you go. I was listening to I was listening, listening to some original um so, well, uh, Zapp and Rogers, I listened to a little bit of Zapp and Rogers, and uh, that took me uh, down a, a kind of old school path, too. It was pretty cool, and uh, um, I love Zapp and Rogers. A lot of people probably don't even know who Zapp and Rogers is, but it, it's definitely, for me, it's moon, moon music. So, uh, you know, I, you guys work I out thought, this morning? Oh, I was just going to say, though, I thought for sure, like, your alarm clock goes off to the Rocky theme or something. It, you know what? The Rocky music is one of my favorite. I, I have the soundtrack. I'm going to work out right when we're done today. I've got the gym set up. And I got to tell you, I listen to the soundtracks. You know, David Coggins, if you've listened to David Coggins at all, when he set his his, his uh, world record, he listened to Rocky the whole way through uh, when he was doing it. So can't be that bad. Yeah, I was, I was 10. I think it was 9. No, I was 9 when that movie came out, the original Rocky. And it was, we thought it was so good as kids. We snuck back into the movie theater and watched it again that same day. We were running through the, through the mall. That was back when movie theaters were at malls. And oh man, we went nuts as kids. So, yeah. Oscar, did you work out this morning? I was just telling Chris when we got on here, I got up at 5 30. I just didn't quite get all the way up. So, <laughs> I'll be going after, I'll be going after this here, um, you know, and, and getting it in. But one thing I was telling him, I think I've been hitting it, uh, just had to give my body a rest this morning. I just I couldn't get it, you know, at five thirty in. But I'll definitely be going after this uh, or during lunch. You know, during the lunch hours, usually slow at the gym. I I don't have a gym here at home, so I kind of got to fix my schedule of when I can actually go into a gym and work out without having to wait for equipment. You know, and it gets crazy wow. out here, in Southern California. Yeah, yeah, that's 
that's why I put the gym in here is because you couldn't even, I mean, Rich is that own you guys. I mean, Rich is mafia. You guys know him. He owns a gym and he's come over here and worked out with me because his own gym <laughs> gets too crazy, you know, and he yeah. owns. So, I mean, that's pretty, pretty nuts. Um, and so let's jump into this. So, so Oscar, you know, again, being reacting versus responding or being reactive versus responsive. Let's go back and take you to how old were you when you uh, went into boot? I was 18 years old. So take us back, you know, at, you know, you had no, you hadn't, you did, you didn't have a, what, what was your original vision when you went in the Marine Corps? What, what do you think you were going to do in the Marine Corps? Um, I was, I went in prior to 9-11. So everything we weren't, we weren't in any kind of uh, conflict at the time. Honestly, when I went in, um, well, I'm not gonna lie. I wasn't, I was getting into a lot of trouble in high school. That That's what kind of drove me to the military was I was, I was into a lot of trouble, um, got into some, some cases that I probably shouldn't have at that time when I was 17, you know, and, and just got, I got faced with having a, a daughter at such a young age and then having the military and, and thank God I was already talking to a recruiter when all that went down. And he's the one that really, uh, that really woke me up. And I, I could, I would never forget that's Sergeant Aviles. I will never forget his name. Um, he's the one that literally put that in front of me and goes, Hey, where do you want to go in life? Where do you want to end up? Do you want to wow. keep doing this on the streets or do you want to give your daughter a better life? And that's really what turned me to the military. So once that happened, um, I really just would hang out with the recruiters after school. I would go to the recruiting office, everything I could. I would just hang out with recruiters. I would also always working out. I was already a runner. Um, but they got me working out. They got me, you know, on the right track. And I would just hang out with the rest of the pulleys. I started hanging out with people that I would usually wouldn't hang out with at school. And that's just because we all had one common goal, and that was to become a United States Marine. But, you know, to go to the question was, I used to see these pamphlets that would, you know, have at the recruiting station. They had this one guy in dress blues. And I, I always asked the question, you know, why is that guy in dress blues and everybody else in like, you know, the other uniform and the brown uniform? And they're like, well, that guy graduated number one. Like, that's number one. That's the guy. That's the platoon leader. And I'm like, oh, he's a recruit. He's like, yeah. And he was like, so that was like, that's what I'm going to do. So then he started teaching me drill. And, and that so early on, I started setting goals for myself. I didn't know I was doing that at the time. And sure enough, when I went to boot camp, like that was my goal was to come out on top of my class and. I did it. You know, I went out there and, you know, 13 weeks in boot camp. I held that position and graduated in my dress blues and got meritorious PFC. Wow. Um, I had no idea. Congratulations. And then uh, went to combat training and got meritorious Lance Corporal out of there. So it's been, uh, it was, it was definitely short term goals at that time, but I knew what I wanted. And once I got, I would say once the Marine Corps got their hands on me, I just loved everything about it. I love the structure of it. I love, being on a timeline and you know learning backwards planning at an early time you know and then while i was in boot camp when i graduated i got to my first duty station and that's that's instantly when i was like i want to go back and be a drone instructor like that's what i wanted to do in the marine corps was to be a drone instructor um but you know when i came in i came in legal admin did that uh, out there in Yuma, arizona for a few years and then my second duty station i re-enlisted and you know you have these incentives the marine corps is always trying to keep people in so they'll give you incentives so i said either make me a drill instructor or i'm out <laughs> i kind of put that on the table and uh yeah my, my career uh, recruiter was able to to get me those orders and send me off to uh 
MCRD San Diego, at the age of 20, I became a drone instructor. Wow. Yeah, I had to get an age waiver to, wow. to become a drone instructor because I was so young. Hey, uh, you know, you always hear these uh, horror stories of boot camp. What was what was your uh, your your best and worst uh, story or experience during boot camp? Oh, man, you'll never forget. I mean, boot camp, it was uh, drizzling in San Diego when I first got there. Um, so getting off the bus was always, you know, that experience. There's a lot of movies that try to reenact it, but getting off that bus, getting that speech when that drone instructor gets on, um, you know, and it's a journey to get there. You spend about three or four days at your MEP stations, which, you know, every major city has. When I was in L.A., they put me on a little puddle jumper, short fly to San Diego. And next thing you know, I'm on that, you know, we're hanging out in San Diego, eating all this nasty food at the airport, the USO, until the bus shows up. And I think that's when it really hits you because you did. I did see a drone shirter, but he wasn't yelling. He just got us all on the bus, told us to put our head down. And uh, it was probably about midnight when we rolled into MCRD San Diego, but we didn't know where we were going. We had our heads down. And then as soon as that light turns on, those drone shirts were on there. And the minute I came off the bus, I just face planted. I slipped on the on the ground and <laughs> fell down, busted my lip. <laughs> and it was it was game on from there. It was it was a blur, but uh, it was fun. I mean, I, I liked it. Like I said, I was ready for it. Physi I was physically fit. Um, I was ready for those, uh, you know, for the at the time the physical fitness test. But the yelling and the and the mental games that that are on there, it's you know, some people don't agree with it, but they literally break you down. They break down all the bad habits and then they just rebuild you. And I think that's what got to me the most that I knew that was happening. I knew that was, you know, they ha we had to go through our phases. So it, it so, was, it was, it was good. So as, as you're going through, I mean, you kind of knew what to expect. You're hanging out with the right crowds and our, our, you know, as you know, um, our oldest daughter and our son, both are Marines also. And our daughter, like you, our son did too. He, he was proactive and involved. You know, you guys would have the Marine Corps would have all these, um, I can't remember what they call it, but they, they would have, you know, runs and workouts and stuff like that. They take, um, Marine, Marine, you know, candidates, uh, recruits that they're, they're, they're hoping that, that they'll get in and work out with them. And I was taking our, our daughter up into the Hills with packs. And, and then as she got stronger, I started exposing her to, um, heights you know ropes um kind of letting her get on the edge let her get used to you know being uncomfortable being being comfortable being uncomfortable so you go in there you're you're probably how many kids what percentage when you get off that bus and you know a lot of people may not know you're you're standing on those footprints right how many of the kids were prepped for this how many were just reacting versus responding even in the early, when you got off and you're standing on those footprints, were you responding or were you just reacting? Um, I think a little bit of both. Um, but just, you know, to answer the question of how many were ready, I, I would say only about 10% of us were actually mentally and physically ready. Everyone else was a culture shock. And, you know, and that comes down to the recruiting and what they were told. You know, I was in the recruit uh, or the delayed entry program. For a while, I had to get past my probation to get, you know, out in town. I was on probation for a while. So I, I got to work with the recruiters a lot and got to understand the lingo, the drill, the physical fitness, you know, the stories of hearing the, the new Marines come out of boot camp. They would take us down to MCRD and see their graduation. So I would pick all these new Marines that came out of boot camp and they were on 30 days leave. I'd pick their brains about boot camp, you know, and learn as much. But there was there was kids in my platoon 
that literally had talked to a recruiter four or five days before they were in boot camp. Wow. So they had no idea what they were getting into other than, you know, they got a job, they took a test, they're going to get paid and whatever the recruiter told them, you know, now they're there. <laughs> um, but, you know, getting off of that bus, the first week is, is pretty much admin week, but, you know, you think you're not getting eight hours of sleep, but you're getting those eight hours. They just keep you up, you know, tired. They wake you up at random times because our day started a little, you know, example, like we were going to medical probably four in the morning while everybody else was sleeping. You know, the new recruits get in there first, get their shots, get all this other stuff, administrative work. Um, and then, you know, you do that for about three to five days, depending on when you got there. And then that first Friday is what they, it's called Black Friday. And that's when you actually meet your drone instructors. They break you into your platoons. You meet the drone instructors. And then you got, I think it was at the time was three or four days of intro days. And then training day one started Tuesday. You know, wow. And then that's when the actual 13 week starts. So it's it's a it's a process just to get to meet the drill instructors and be in your platoon. But, yeah, we, we lost we lost recruits, you know, day one. They were just didn't want to be there, you know, and then how, they fall how, back. And, how many how many of the uh, total group finished? Oh, my class. I think we were like in the 60s. But, you know, you drop some and you pick some up on the way up that, you know, they got an awesome system um, of recycling there where if I were to get hurt, you know, whatever week I get hurt, I would get sent back to a medical platoon. My training stops. But when I get better, they'll put me right back on that training week with a different platoon. So as we were dropping, we were also picking up recruits. So we were like in the 60s. Um, wow. But once I got up there to be a drone instructor. After 9-11, I got there in 2005, January is when I went to a uh, drone instructor school. I had my first put my hands on a first platoon by May because um, drone instructor school is another boot camp for us. Just you're a Marine now, but it's the same boot camp. I had to go through it all over again the whole 13 weeks. Um, but when I went through after 9-11, 2005, the, the, you know, the middle of the war, the heat of the war, as we would call it, is we were getting you know up to 101 recruits as much as we can fit in a squad base, what we were pushing through, you know, six platoons. So over 600 recruits at one point my company had. Wow. Wow. What was there something that you said to yourself when you said, okay, when I, when I, when I become a drill instructor, I'm never going to do this, but I'm going to make sure to do this. Um, yeah. You know, when I went through boot camp, I, I thought highly of my drill instructors. They never did anything to me or to anyone that I saw that wasn't, you know, that wasn't justified or, you know what I'm saying? They got loud. They yelled at us. But it's, again, it's the breakdown phase. And then they start to build you up. And then, you know, we start to see other recruits throughout MCRD that uniforms look different than ours. But, again, everything was everything was a stepping stone to making you, as you know, that Marine. That you just wow. didn't show up and they gave you an EO Globe and Anchor and started calling you Marine. You were a recruit till you got that EO Globe and Anchor. You know, we had to earn that. It, it wasn't given to us. Um, so when I got to become a drone instructor, I literally just wanted to do what my drill instructors did and train me hard, you know, train them hard, train them. You know, we have a training schedule. It's no secret. There's a training schedule out there. Every day is the same for every company, but it's just give it your all, you know, having my drill instructors. One thing that I always notice as the guide is I slept at the very top of the squad bay next to the, to the drill instructor hut. Those guys were always there. That's one thing I noticed 24 seven, they were with us. Wow. I never seen them leave. And, and as a drone instructor, I figured out how they did it. But, you know, as a recruit, they're just there 24 7. Someone is up 24 hours a day with you. Wow. You know, you know uh, I, I, would, 
I had a couple similar, um, not, nothing like Marine Corps boot, nothing. Um, you know, I started out when I was 13. I was kind of, 13 was a big age because when I, when I met my mentor, they got me into detailing uh, and flying. But I also was kind of going down a wrong road and they put me in a work camp. And I've shared this story several times. And the discipline there, they, they you know, a lot of us just didn't, we come from, you know, families. I don't, I don't call it a broken family. Um, we, we came from challenging families. And I was definitely one of those. And I, I don't you think like I gravitated towards the discipline and the kids that didn't like the kids that bucked it or thought they were really tough. They're the ones that paid the dearest, the ones that kind of like knew what the discipline meant. Does that make sense? Like, oh, yeah. Um, did better. Yeah. The, as a drill instructor, we would seek out who was playing sports. We, we had history on you guys. The recruiter would send us a packet. We'd get all the paperwork. So while they're in receiving that first week, we're already back at work on Monday, also doing receiving week. And we're reviewing every single one of those recruits paperwork. So mm. we would already know who was just on paperwork, who was physically fit, who was doing the 20 pull-ups, 15 pull-ups, who was, you know, a team captain on the soccer team or water polo or whatever sports they played. We already had that history. So we already had our eyes on who our physically fit guys were going to be. And, and on paper, we can already format what the platoon was going to look like as far as our guide and our squad leaders, our leadership. Now, obviously, once they took the physical fitness test with us and it started, then it just came into the discipline. But, you know, at first, it's you see who came from sports and then we would see like the family history, you know, single parents that that played a big role. You know, me, I was in the same situation as you were anywhere. I was getting yelled at as a younger age. You know, I, I, I grew up getting hit with the TV antenna and, you know, <laughs> and get, I mean, that's just the way it was. <laughs> Like, it's just, it's just the way it was growing up in the, you know, 80s and 90s. We didn't have all of this stuff that we have now. So I, I grew up getting, you know, spanked. I stayed up after light. You know, once the light street lights came on, I had to be home. And if I stayed out later than that, I knew I was coming home to ass whooping, you know. Excuse I my never, language. I never experienced a TV antenna, but my mom went through her fair share of wooden spoons. And, um, and then also, uh, I do recall that they made a wooden paddle that they drilled holes in. Yeah. Catch more air. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I had one of those. Catch more air on the way in. Yeah. I'll tell you, Oscar, I don't know if you ever heard this story, but a, a Navy CB from World War II lived across the street from us. And, um, you know, I started to get a, be a smart ass to my Italian grandma, and she's famous for trying to rip your ear off. But she sent me over to BJ, man, and he was a woodworker, and he built a paddle right in front of me one day and he whacked me on the butt with that in the second there's three times the second time i went over there he whacked me a few times on the butt with that and the third time he looked at me and he goes over to his to his drill press and he says this is going to be the last time i use this thing on you and he 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 drilled three big old fat holes to get more air through that paddle and he was exact i got that paddle still and he was right he never touched me with that again because i became a milk and cookies kind of kid after that, ass whooping deserved ass whooping, and you know, did it all the money? Yeah, it left a freaking yeah, it left. I couldn't sit. Matter of fact, that night, I couldn't even laying on my stomach to go to sleep hurt my butt. Um, blankets, sheets, I couldn't do anything for like four or five days, but you know what? Changed my life. And and you know what he did right after that? You'll dig this. He took me through and started showing me his combat photos that were taken and what he experienced in the South Pacific. And you know what? 
And again, this is all right around the age 12, 13, 14. We're all critical years, you know, for me. So let me ask you this. So how, how many of those did you start? You're a kid. Let's go back to your 18 before you're even a, a DI. Is do you, these kids that just weren't prepared? Did you start seeing people going from being reactive to what the, the drill sergeants were doing to responding? Could you see a could you see other recruits that you're like, man, they're never going to make it, and all of a sudden they start they start reacting in the right yeah. way? Yeah, yeah. Um, we had they had different ways of you know we we come in as one team, one fight. We're one platoon. You know, I was thirty one forty three. My company. You never forget this this type of stuff when you when you start talking about it, it just comes naturally. But yeah, the ones that weren't ready, you start looking to the right or to the left, and they start treating you and training you as a whole. So if one recruit messes up, we all pay for it. So eventually, you're going to learn. You know, you're going to learn, and and you know, and one of the biggest things that they teach you is instant obedience to orders. It's hmm. when they say something, you react. There's no questioning. There's no why. There's no how come or I can't. Like it doesn't. No, it's your doing. And, and, you know, they have ways of doing it. And honestly, pain retains. And when I say pain retains, it's not because we're getting beat. It's because we just do a lot of push-ups. And we will learn, you know, by all working out together that we all have to think as one and act as one. So, yeah, everyone becomes very responsive very, very quick. Um, and if you don't understand or if you don't, you know, understand what they're saying or what you're doing, you look to your right and to your left and you'll be able to, you'll, you'll pick up quick, you know, drone searchers that by day one, they're losing their voice. And I got to, I got to see that as my drone searchers, their voice starts cracking. They're yelling, you know, at a hundred recruits going, you know, full force for three or four days, they start coughing up blood. You know, it, it gets really hard on the body. I didn't know this is a recruit because they can't show weakness. That's the other thing. They don't show this stuff. When I became a drone instructor, I got to experience all that stuff, you know, firsthand. So, yeah, responsive. They Everyone becomes very responsive very quick because you have no other choice but to respond to it. You know, you have to act on it. So let's jump forward. So you go through and now you're you've got these these young, you know, recruits under your care is is um, what was it like the transition from going from you know, from, from student to instructor, um, what, what was, what was that responsibility like? What was that, the emotions like, um, you know, I, I mean, I went, I've, I've never gone through, I went through, <laughs> don't, don't, don't freaking uh, make fun of me. ROTC and then, and then I had to go through a uh, basic walk, you know, uh, to become a warrant. We didn't have anything like you guys, but we, we did have a lot of stress. We had, you know, there's a lot going on. A lot of people don't realize this, when when you go to when you went to boot as a, as a, as a recruit, you're not just they're not just taking in it, it's not just physical. You're learning a lot too, and as a DI, you're teaching a lot. How does that combination work, and, and where does that come back to again? Your goal when you're a DI is to build a marine. Matter of fact, Paris Island, uh, Chris put up a uh, a picture um, that when we went to our daughters graduation at Paris Island as a Marine, um, you know, it says we build Marines across the bridge. Right. And I, I thought that was really an interesting way to look at it. You know, is that you're building these, these young people up. What was that transition like for you? Um, it was, it was pretty hard. Um, you know, going just again, being a Marine, I was a Sergeant at the time 
and again, it, it goes down to these, you know, the rank structure and the stepping stones. Um, you know, I was a sergeant at the time. I had my own platoon in Yuma, Arizona. I was already taking care of Marines and leading Marines. Then you go to DI school and none of that matters because no matter what rank you go to, you are a DI student. So they break you down once again. You still have rank and they respect the rank and we respect it. The, you know, because some of these, uh, I was an E5, you know, there were staff sergeants and gunner sergeants in my class that went later on in their career. Our instructors were staff sergeants and gunner sergeants. So even though the rank was there, you're still, they break you down once again to make you that student because you want something that they have. And that's that campaign cover that they wear and the title drill instructor. They broke us down for 13 weeks all over again, but they break you down and they teach you the do's and the don'ts. And it's mostly the don'ts, you know, don't touch a recruit. Don't, you know, don't do this. Don't do that. Um, but they're also teaching you a lot of safety. Like I took so much life-saving skills as a drone instructor student. It, it was it was crazy. Like the first class we had was on CPR, and everywhere we went, we had drills where they would attach someone on the on the shoulder. They would fall down, and three of us had to react right away and just be like, "We go into mode." If whoever catches them first, they're starting CPR. You know, one's calling the ambulance, the other one's setting up road guard so we can start catching. So there's a routine that becomes. Um, and they teach us that for a reason, because at any given point when you have, when you're entrusted to these, to take care of these recruits, at any one point, they, one of them can go down, they can choke, they could, you know, pass out, heat stroke, you know, whatever it is. And you got to be able to take that cover off, put it aside and react to a life-saving situation. Um, wow. I never had to put my hands on a recruit when it came to something like that. But while I was down there, there was a couple of drill instructors that had to, you know, do CPR on some of these kids that go down. They just weren't ready. They just pass out or, you know, they're eating too fast. They start choking at the chow hall and you just got to go into that, you know, to that role, because even though you're there making those Marines and you're that guy, you know, the, the guy that's being mean and yelling and whatnot, you're also entrusted to their care. And oh, at the yeah. end of the day, you have to take care of those recruits. You treat them like one of yours. It's just tough love. Yeah. You know? no, but again, I... so going from a student to a drill instructor, I still had to go through, it's a sign-off sheet. Even though I was a drone instructor wearing the belt, I was with the platoon, you still have to get signed off being in front of recruits by yourself. That was like a privilege to have the platoon by yourself because there was always two or three. And if you don't get signed off, you're really just hurting your team because 13 weeks away, well, and a lot of people don't think about it, you're with these recruits for 13 weeks. These, these drone searchers have families. They have, I mean, I went through a whole divorce as a drone searcher because I couldn't go home. You know, she just didn't understand. She didn't understand why I was, you know, a mile away from home, but wasn't able to come home every night. It's just what I got myself into, you know? So if I don't get signed off, my drone searchers don't get to go home. That means, wow. you know, but the minute I got signed off, they, were, they ghosted me for like two days. I had them Saturday and Sunday, you know, all by myself. And it's like, I have a schedule. I knew what to do, but even as a new drone instructor, you had to go through those stepping stones to really get the title and have the privilege of being with them alone and taking care of, you know, 60, 70, up to 101 kids all by yourself. And that's getting them up, you know, getting them in the head, getting them dressed, getting them to the chow hall, getting them to the class. You know, we have a schedule that, that has all this. We had to get signed off on every single little thing. You know, our morning routine, our evening routine, all the same. We all had to get signed off on that. You know, so it's it was a very hard transition, very stressful. You get a lot of stress put on you. You know, drone instructor school, there was a couple times where I was like, this ain't for me. I wanted it, but it was just so stressful that I was like, I don't know if I can, you know, but you look to your right, you look to your left and you had, you know, drone instructor students there 
with you there, like, hey, we're all going in together. At one point or another, I, I know everyone thought about just quitting. But it's like what kept us pushing, and it's just that, you know, that fire or someone else just pushing you to go through. And even as a drone instructor, you know, you're not eating right. I think I went, I was like 170 when I went to DI school. I graduated like at 145 after my first Holy. platoon. I wish I would have sent you guys pictures. After my first platoon, I was 129 pounds. After Jeez. I graduated my first platoon. Yeah. I, my, I, I still have shirts that won't go up my wrist right here. But that was my arm up here. Wow. I'm about to take some, I'm about to take some uniforms up to, to Big Bear next time I go up there because it literally was like I was a size, you know, 27 waist, just skin and bones. Um, and again, because you're running around, you're yelling, you know, you're not eating right. You don't really have a lot of time. And it's not that they're hazing us. It's just that, you know, three drone instructors for, you know, 101 recruits, you're always it's a lot. Move. It's a, a lot. lot. You know, yeah. we take naps, cat naps. I can, t I can sleep anywhere now. Um, you know, you take five minute naps, 10 minute naps, 15 minute naps. Hey, hey, hey hold on. I'm going to disagree with that. <laughs> hold on, hold on, hold, hold, hold on, hold on. Leadership. Oh, yeah. We had our leadership. We had a leadership course that we put on and homeboy was sleeping in his hammock and he had animals wandering around his, his camp that night. And hey, I don't think you slept too good that night, Marine. Yeah. Hey, well, there's, a, I could have sworn there was something breathing right next to my head. I just didn't want to move. Yeah, it was. It was Bambi. I saw the duck on here, and I know he heard it. He just didn't want to move either. But yeah, was yeah, like both you guys. Right I don't think either breathe. one of you slept very good. So hey, we're gonna flip this over to business here in a second. Before we do that, uh, Chris, look up. We had that Google's act, uh, answer to react, uh, re uh, reacting versus instinctive. And in in, in 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 the meantime, I'm gonna ask a couple more questions. Um, yeah, uh, you yeah, know, I got, I got it when you're ready. Yeah, go ahead. Read that real quick. Well, so reacting reacting versus responding reacting is instinctive uh it, it's an instinctive emotional response to a situation it's often impulsive and can be influenced by our past experiences or fears uh, on the other hand responding is a thoughtful and deliberate action it involves considering the situation weighing the options and making uh, a conscious decision right so you know i mean that 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 makes a lot of sense right you know, yeah. I, um, totally. you know, it's, it's, uh, you know, when, when you, when you react to things, right. You're, you're feeling threatened, triggered, maybe, um, it leads you to say things you might regret, you know, it's saying things off the cuff, you know, whether you're, you're yelling at your kids or fighting with your wife or, or whatever it is, right. You, you say things that you probably really don't mean, especially if you gave it some real thought, you know, um, versus responding is more deliberate, right? You, you take the time to assess the situation, consider your options and choose the best course of, 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 of action or the best, uh, yeah, the best course of action. So, you know, it's, uh, one of the things that, you know, when I was diving into this was that, um, I like how, you know, when, when you take the time to respond, it helps you, um, make more thoughtful and intentional and calculated choices. It also helps you build stronger relationships, create a more po positive and productive and productive environment. Uh, you know? Well, and I'm going to own this when it comes to like being in the field and responding to really bad situations. Um, you know, having <clears throat> to take and draw down on somebody you know, all these, all those responsive, I train myself pretty well to do those things. 
in business. Um, same thing. But when it became time to be a, a husband and a father is I reacted a lot more than responding and I've gotten better, but I'm still, I'm still, I'm still not very, you know, talented when it comes to empathy with, you know, my wife and my kids. It just, I love to blame it on the way I grew up. Maybe it is, maybe it's not, maybe I'm just an asshole. Um, but it's funny because under pressure items, I'm a lot better at responding when it comes to some of the emotional side of things of figuring out my, my, my wife and my kids. It, it, it was a lot more reactive responses than, 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 than solid responding. Does that make sense? No, it does. And I actually, I actually kind of have a theory on that. Um, you know, and, and I, and I think I'm kind of right to be honest, <laughs> but my theory is that, you know, we'll, we'll react to people that we love, like our wives and our kids and all that, because we're not too concerned about, um, how do I put this? We're not too concerned about how how they're going to respond or react, right? I mean, they're still going to be our wife. They're still going to be our kid. But in business, you know, if you react to somebody or something in a negative way or the way you shouldn't, you know, you 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 risk losing that relationship immediately, right? Or that opportunity immediately. So there's a little bit more. Our brains think there's more of a more cost involved. You know, there's there's more more at risk there. You know, well, you know what? That makes total sense, and it's kind of screwed up. It is. It is. It, you know, it makes total it, sense. It's one hundred percent screwed up that we're treating the people that that are actually by our sides the most the worst, right? Yeah. Um, but but I but I do think that you know we get comfortable, we get comfortable, and therefore we start to behave that way. Wow. So, you know, Oscar, I'm looking at that. We're going to jump down and through and just ask you kind of rapid fire and go through some things, you know, all of us. But that family day, you know, we make Marines and seeing our daughter and all these young Marines that had just gone through a living hell. How many hours is that, that last, that, that last um, proctor um, before they're, they're actually a Marine? How long does that last? Uh, you're talking about the Crucible? Yeah. Yeah, it's about uh, 96 hours total from start to finish. They get uh, three MREs, so only three meals for it. And there's about 40. When I was going through there, there's about 42, 43 different obstacles with only four hours of sleep at night. So they're on their feet. They're hiking. They're tired. But, you know, we, we, we take them through that fog of war and stress them out to make sure that they can still react and respond to certain situations, no matter how tired and how hungry you are. They, they have to be, they have to show that they're responding and, you know, reacting to everything that we have them. So, yeah, the Crucible is, uh, and, you know, and the schedule has changed for a while. Um, when I went through, we did the Crucible the week before, and then we got our Eagle Open Anchor a week later, right on Family Day in front of our families. Uh, when I became a drone instructor, we went through some phases where they were getting the Eagle Open Anchor after the Crucible. You know, so it, it just not in front of their families. So it, it's changed. But yeah, that crucible is is pretty much what from day one, what we're building you up for is that crucible. Well, it was, it was amazing to see these young people, you know, especially our daughter. I think 
I mean, we looked at everybody. It was, it was, it was, if you've never gone and I, I've gone to all, you know, we've got a, a daughter that's air force, two Marines, and then un, our youngest is undecided. Gone to a lot of, a lot of national guard, you know, event, but, but if you've never seen or witnessed a Marine Corps graduation, uh, or family day when they do the run, um, I, I want to tell you, I looked at every kid walking, coming through there, but there was really one that I just, I honed in on, you know, and it was our daughter. These, these young Marines, you know, you could see, you could see they'd just gone through hell, but 90% of them, you couldn't tell because they were so damn happy and proud. You know, they were probably the weakest they've been. Matter of fact, it was funny when our, when our daughter came home, uh, she had leave and then she had to go to stumps. She was so regimented with the way she even picked up a cup and set it down. I mean, and, and that just wasn't our daughter before that time. She's always been very, very systematic. Uh, she's a very um, dedicated um, human. But it was funny just to watch just how mechanical she had become. Does that make sense? It's all uniformed. The way you eat, the way you sit, the way you talk, the way you walk, the way you march, everything is has got to be the same. Again, it's one unit, um, how we train them, and it all comes down. We teach that through drill, close order drill, marching. Mm -hmm. That's where you really get the instant obedience to orders, and then everything else just becomes so repetitive that that's what you do, you know, down to the way that, you know, you, right now we have the luxury of getting up and you know, getting dressed, you know, we do whatever we want and in recruit training, everything is scheduled and everything's on point. And you do the same thing every morning that, you know, your morning routine, you get up, port side gets in a head, starboard side, we start getting dressed. When we get them dressed, we get them dressed by the numbers. That's, hmm. you know, your left sock, getting on your left hand, left, left sock, get on your left foot, right sock, get in your right hand, right sock, get on your right foot. Everything is by the numbers and we dress you by the numbers. And there's a reason for that, because when it comes to the crucible and you've been up for 72 hours, you know, with only eight hours of sleep at that point, and we got to get up at four in the morning and we start getting out of there by 430. And that's getting you up, cleaning up the, the big website, packing all your pack, eating breakfast all in less than 30 minutes. All that pays off um, because they're on autopilot at that point. When we're getting them up, we're getting them up and get dressed. They know exactly how to get dressed. Everything is a routine and we train them that way for a reason. So, you know, let's, we're again, we're going to bring it around to business, but I'll tell you to this day, it's anybody in my family will tell you, I still do not sit down to put my socks, boots, or shoes on. It's a hard habit to break, isn't it? Yeah, I just, I cannot sit. I mean, I've got, I'm so systematic. And, you know, I had, I had to go through some, some, um, some mid grade um, warrant officer training, what, two years ago, I think I went to that, Chris, right? It was like two weeks. And, you know, they, it's, again, they're really – they're nothing – it's nothing like what Oscar's talking about. But when you're a weekend warrior and you haven't done that stuff in a while and all the NCOs come in, you know, we we lose our rank. The NCOs are our bosses. And uh, I know – I knew every single one of them. Um, and, and it's, again, it's a reminder of discipline because it's the same thing in business is that, you know, I have a thing that I'm going to talk to the mafia about today called rolling go goals, rolling goals, is that when when you become set, okay, so you had a couple years of being a Marine before you go to DI school, right? But I guarantee you there was disciplines that you hadn't used since since you were in boot. And it, oh, yeah. it, 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 it happens. 
right? I mean, I was living out in town. I wasn't living on a base. I wasn't used to Reveille and, you know, colors and taps. And, you know, by the time colors came down, I hadn't been in colors in evening colors where everyone, the whole base just freezes. And then you come, you face, you know, you face the flag or the music and you salute for colors. I hadn't been around that in years because I was already home having dinner at that time. You know, there's a lot of stuff. So even, even breaking those habits, going back into the high school, that was the hard part living in the barracks with a roommate, you know, getting 20 minutes to eat, you know, getting 10 minutes to shower and get dressed and right back outside. Those things (laughs) is you lose that luxury, but Again, it just builds that discipline and, and tying it into business when I got out and got into the detailing industry and went up to your training. And, you know, when I first got into my shop, all of that discipline is it was so easy for me to transition into business. And I, I remember, you know, earlier days in my shop, I, the first thing I would do is I would get into my shop. I had to be there by 730, whether I had a vehicle or not coming in, I had to be I had to be there by 730. And the first thing I would do is I would check the forum. Because we didn't have the Facebook page yet. I would literally go through the forum and read the posts for the last day. And that was literally my daily routine. While I was reading the forum, my coffee was going. Then yeah. I had my coffee. Then by 8 o'clock, it was like I had to either start working on a vehicle or I had a customer coming in at 8 o'clock. But I had those first 30 minutes to myself in my shop to get stuff, you know, to get myself ready for that vehicle. And if I didn't have a vehicle, I was either going to a networking meeting or I was just going to go and scout and start, you know, passing out business cards or whatnot. So all of these disciplines that I learned through the military, I was able to adjust into business and put into my business and really just make it down to like every evening with shop cleanup. I never went home unless the shop was clean. All of everything was put away. Everything was organized, swept, mob. Like that was pretty much my routine, you know, and obviously as you start in the years into a shop or into a business, some things do slack, some things don't. But to this day, if I leave the shop and I leave chemicals out or I leave bottles out, it, it, I'm thinking about it the whole night. Like, man, it bothers you, right? Could I have, could I have taken an extra 30 seconds to put that away? Yep. You, you, know, you know, last it's like, so yeah, I mean, it's, I mean, go ahead. You know, last week I, I had a, a tough couple days. Last week was just a busy week, but I just had some, it was just, it was just, I don't know, man. I got my head in the wrong spot, you know. So Monday, when I woke up Monday this week, I've got a book that I don't look at too often of different missions and stuff I've gone on, and it's got some grim realities of of s- some stuff we've gone on, people I've lost. Um, I opened that up for the first time in a while because I had to remind myself that what I do for 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 business for a paycheck, people don't people don't die. Um, I'm not going to get killed. Uh, I'm not on that mission. And basically what the hell am I, why was it, why did I allow my mind to go there? Yeah. And, and that's a discipline and it just, it kind of, it kind of, kind of woke me up. I was kind of being a little baby. We've had this conversation. Remember when I think I was up in Big Bird one time and I was like, no one's shooting at me. Ain't nobody trying to kill me right now. That's literally what I, that's literally what I fall back to. I take myself to my Afghanistan days where it's like, that's really where stuff was crazy. And it's like, it was life or death situations, but the stuff that we're dealing here on a day-to-day basis in business shouldn't get you that stressed out. Because I mean, in my mindset, cause I've been through it. I literally put myself to that. You know, I'm taking shots at me right here. I don't got to worry about RPGs coming in behind me or, you know, loud booms or something coming through. Like, and it, it I check myself and I reset myself that way 
where it's like I've been in worse situations. I've been stressed out a lot more. You know, I've, I've been through a lot mentally and physically that this business, it should not be stressing you out that much. This job, this work should not be stressing you out that much, you know? No. Yeah. You know, we got a saying, train like you fight and fight like you train. <clears throat> we, uh, for about 10, 10 years ago, up until about five years ago, is that I was doing a lot of op, op four missions, opposition forces missions with, with uh, guard and regular army units that were shipping out. And I was always asking them why they, they brought us in. And it was pretty cool. And they said, well, you know what? You're kind of like the insurgents that we fight where we fight is you, you know, you know what you're doing, you're trained, but you're not trained at our level, but you're trained, you're, you're trained enough in combat that it really screws us up. We're not going against just weak opponents. We're going through somebody that's a, a decent tactical warrior, just enough that's going to really – that could kill us. And I, I like that answer. So when, we, when our team went out and we trained these teams that are going into, you know, in, into theater, is, it, it was like the, the guy that you played football with that was just, just didn't know how to stop. We didn't know how to – we, we – we, we train like we fought. We fought like we train. And, you know, that last, the last, it was the two twenty I think it was the 229th that went out. They had had KIAs and every, they, they came home and they had no KIAs. Not a one. And it wasn't that they're going, weren't going into danger zones. I like to believe that we, we helped prepare them at another level because they hadn't gone against anybody like us before that in their, in their readiness drills. And, and so, Entrepreneur, why I mentioned that is that I think a lot of entrepreneurs, they don't, they don't drill for the real thing, man, is that they don't train for the real thing is they, they it's, it's everything's are, is, is, is an emotional response and that's dangerous. So take us through now is going from you're going to theater. You talked about that. So first shots fired. You'd been a Marine for how long by the time you went to Afghanistan? A little bit under a decade before I got my hands wow. on that. Wow. Because uh, when everything kicked off, uh, I was in Yuma with a header squadron. So I was, you know, we went out, but it was uh, more on uh, on battleships where I was mm -hmm. at. So I never got to see theater there. But then I went to drone instructor school. It's obviously non-deployable. Then I went to a unit uh, up in Rochester, New York, anti-terrorism battalion, which was infantry, but there were reserves. So we were training the reserve component. Um, and then once I, I was able to maneuver my way out of there in 24 months and get me to a deployable unit to deploy. And that's when I went in. Um, and yeah, it's a scary feeling, you know, it's, it's knowing at any point, like, you know, being up, just being, I mean, you see me react and respond to the fly catchers you have up there. Yep. Yep. Like, it yep. has a very distinct sound, like Matt. a sniper shot, like it's yep. just popping behind your ear. Yep. Like, you know, and it's, it's very, it's mind boggling at times when certain things happen, you know, and it just, you know, you can't, pre you can prepare. We did a lot of training, but once boots are on the ground, it's a whole different story out there. You know, it's, you better be ready and you better in everyone just, you know, one team, one fight is pretty much why I can see it. You got to look out and trust, you know, the Marine to the right or to the left of you to make sure that everything is, you know, they, they have your back and you have theirs. You know, it's funny because when I go to dinner, there's only about a half dozen people in the world 
that I will allow to sit where they've got a better vision of the establishment than I do. And Oscar's one of them. I will gladly take and put my back to the door if Oscar's with us and he's got the good seat. Why is that Oscar? Got your six. You got to check your six, six. you know, I know that you've got the vision and I can see you're the same way. When I walk into a building I've never been into, I'm looking on a, how to get, if shit goes bad, how to get out, you know, everybody's, Oh, I'm looking at, I'll take them down. I'm looking at how to get my wife out of there. And then as many people as I can, and, 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 and if, if need be, you know, go after, you know, the bad dude. But in the first place is that, you know, if I, if I'm flying somewhere, I, I don't have a weapon, you know, you got to realize that, but Diane's I'm, I'm the same way with Diane. Diane's got really good eyes. I know that with you, James Golia, one our first Sergeant, um, you know, James 20 plus years, uh, air force did some pretty cool SF stuff is that, I know for a second that he's going to get us out of that, man. I know he's got my back. I can, I can have, I can have my eyes closed and I'm good. I know Diane's facial reactions. So I know she's going to give me a hint that something bad's going on. I know Oscar's the same way as James is shit's going to go down and we're going to tear people apart by our bare hands. If we have to, you know, if, if, if things, but that trust is also mafia. I'm going to mention that there's, and this is kind of even in our own group or even in the industry, you got to realize when you come in, everybody will say there's clicks. This and that. I was in every, if you want to call it a click, I was in every click in high school. I knew the stoners. I knew the gangbangers. I knew the athletes. I knew the band. Um, I knew the nerds. I knew, I knew the performing arts. I put myself in all those groups. I, I, if, if you want to call it a click, then I was in every single click there was. Um, I don't call it clicks. I call it relationships. People have taken the time. And like in our group, there's members. I mean, we go back. I mean, Doug Cunningham, Doug Parfett, um, Matt Williams, all these, it's been almost 20 years. You're, you're not going to take in. And like when I go to, I was at base this weekend. I got to go back on Saturday is that there's tables I'm invited to. And there's tables I'm not invited to in the military. Does that make sense, Oscar? And how would you explain that? Um, you know, the Navy has a very unique rank structure once you, you make it up to E6. But once you become a chief, you have the chief's mess. Um, that's E7, E8, E9. Um, I made it up to E8 in the Marine Corps as a first sergeant. Even as an E8, I couldn't get into that chief's mess because I hadn't gone through the chief initiation process. And um, I was invited at one point. I actually got to participate um, in Rochester, New York as training them. And then when I got here to Port Wainimi in uh, Oxnard, I got to participate in, you know, the process of overseeing their training and got to PT with them a lot. And that's when they really invited me into that chief's mess. But that's pretty much how it's like a, it's like a, um, I don't want to put this because it's, it is the pride of belonging into that, but it's just like the, the rite of passage. Like you've made it to this certain point. Now you get to, join us in this you know in this mess hall or that mess hall and it's not that they're mistreating it but it's the way that i saw it again it's those stepping stones it's that roadmap how do i make it to that rank you know the military we have our non-ncos we have our ncos which is a corporal and sergeant but then you have your staff ncos and i always remind people this when you know they i kind of get that thing like well i'm a business i got to do this and like there's no sense of entitlement when i made it to sergeant I felt proud. And yeah, I was a sergeant. I was an E5, but guess what? Now I was just the new sergeant. 
there were senior sergeants up there that had been sergeants for three or four years. They had more experience than me in that rank. Same thing when I made it to staff sergeant. Yeah, I, I was happy to make it to the staff and seal, but I was just the boot staff sergeant at that point. You know, even when you became, when I became a first sergeant and got my first company, I was a company first sergeant, but I was the new company first sergeant. There were first sergeants that had three, four, five years of experience as a first sergeant that I was still looking up to. So just because you've made it there doesn't mean that I wanted to stop. It was literally continuing to get that knowledge and, you know, get that experience underneath my belt to continue to move on forward. So it's just like a rite of passage, you know, when, when you have those and when you're, you're talking about, you know, being in these groups and whatnot, I think it's the same thing. You know, they got to be able to accept you and, and, you know, prove yourself in the groups and, you know, what you guys got going on. Cause it's not clicks. We're not, I don't consider them clicks. Everyone's got a structure and that's what it comes down to is being structured. Yeah. It, when it, it you know, it's funny because it, it, it's, um, with, with the garden, I want to go into this is you said, you know, you're going through your drill instructor training and man, he really wanted to quit. A lot of people don't know the difference that it, just rest, learn to rest is even when you're in a like last week, man, I just had a couple tough days and, and you know, what really fixed it was me resting. I took a break. I, you know, on Sunday, I turned my damn phone off. I just turned it off. Didn't look at it. I did something I usually never do. I sat down and I watched a couple of TV shows, watched a couple of movies. I just don't do that. But you know what? That rest, that mental rest from everything worked. I came into Monday with a whole new attitude and it was much needed. So the other thing is, okay, so our daughter, when she, she, she's Marine, she was, when she came back from Okinawa is she was put in, uh, she was an NCO over a, a reserve unit. She calls me up. She goes, dad, I have no idea what I'm getting into, you know, with these reserves. And I said, well, I ran her through my thoughts. And there's, there's a reason why, because in business, especially in the blue collar industries, like detailing, we got a lot of part-timers. We got people that are building their dream up. They got jobs that maybe they're, they're looking they're, They don't like, um, maybe they're young and they're, they just don't want a boss, but they're part-time. I, I, I it's kind of like the reserve status in the military. So I told my daughter, I said, listen, they're going to, they love to be in uniform. And I said, us weekend warriors, we love, we love to be in uniform, but you got to remember, you got to be patient is that we don't put the uniform on as often as you, uh, we're going to, we're working a full-time job aside from this. We're going to come in maybe a little flustered because we're trying to get everything at our full-time job and with our family situated before we show up for our drill weekends. And, 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 and we're not going to be kind of as, as orderly. We're not going to, and sometimes we're a little gung ho. We're a little, we're a little too, um, too motivated, too motivated. We're a, too, a little bit too, you know, who, you know, I mean, it, it just goes too far. So you go into a reserve unit. What, what did you witness and, and how could you relate that back to what we see in business with people that are building their business up while they've got a, a full-time or part-time gig? I had it hard. I went from being a drill instructor one Friday to two weeks later, I was checking into a reserve unit. So I went from the most structured and disciplined place in the Marine Corps to the most relaxed place in the Marine Corps, um, which, you know, at the time I didn't understand the difference, you know, they're civilians, but they're, we're part-time. Like I, I wanted everything to be covered in the line. And it was just such a relaxed environment that my first arm was always on me about, you know, getting on the reserves and being too hard. Cause I can get them, I can get someone to tap out pretty quick, you know, just constantly ride on them. 
Um, and had yeah, Jesse Jason Bruno's comments on there. We could chat about this next time I see you, brother. But uh, yeah, so I mean, it's, it's it was definitely a transition. But as I got into the units and got to see, my respect for the reserve component became actually very high because these are guys and girls that come in, they have full time jobs in corporate America. They still take the time to put on the uniform, come in and train with us. And then when we're sending them home, you know, at 16, 18, 1900 on a Sunday night, which is seven, eight o'clock at night, they still got to go into corporate America on Monday morning, go right back to work, you know, and that's when I really started seeing it. So I used to, it used to get underneath my skin when the reserves wouldn't respond to me throughout the month. But again, they're volunteering hours throughout the month just to get the mission done. And that's more on the leadership. And Randy, you can relate to this in your position where you put in a lot of hours, you ain't getting paid for as a reservist throughout the month to yep. get things done for the following. Cause on the active duty side, we had what five, seven, you know, Marines taking care of the whole unit. So my respect started being out there towards the reserves. At first I hated it, but after a while I started to appreciate it. And we started to take more pride in our work and getting more things done, but it definitely uh, coming into business. I think I saw it yesterday. Someone posted on Facebook. There's a deep, there's a detailer. And then there's a business owner who runs a detail shop. And that's, I think that's a pretty good way yeah. of seeing it. You know, you have the business side and then you have the technician side of it. Um, and some of us are doing it both. Some of us are doing, you know, that and have a full-time job and, you know, go to school. I know Jason Bruno, I, I, I see his stuff here. He's going to school. You know, he's seeing it right now where he's running a business and, you know, in the business mindset, but going to school. I had that same struggle when I got out, you know going to college at 38 with these kids, it, it drove me crazy, you know, but it's like, you, you have to be able to separate it. And then us from the outside looking in also have to be able to respect it. Um, and don't compare ourselves to one another, you know, stop comparing each other to one another because what Chris woman has going on in his business is different from your business is different from my business. We can all be sitting here talking about it, but I can't be like, well, Chris has this and he has that. How come I don't have it? Well, cause he has a different business plan, you know, or why do I have some? Or how come Rennie has this? Eh? We can't be like that when it comes to the, the business and the detail industry because we're all fighting different battles. We're all in different situations, you know, um, across the board. You know, so I see some guys detailing on Saturdays and Sundays. And I remember when I think you told me when I first went to training, when I was like, if you ain't detailing seven days a week, you're wrong. If you ain't detailing, you're, you know, you're not making it. And you're like, no, you're not making it. <laughs> you know, but I see these guys doing it now. I can't tell them the same because these guys that are detailing Saturdays and Sundays have full-time jobs. They have a whole career Monday through Friday, Monday through Friday. And they're so I, we can't just go out there and start bashing people because they're detailing on Sundays or detailing on Saturdays or, you know, Saturday nights. I see it. They're, they're posting on their stories. We don't know their background, you know, um, Say Bobby, Bobby is a full-time cop. One of the top levels in his department. And I don't know, it was five or seven years that he did that. So here he is performing at the highest level in his, in his professional career, but building up his business on the side. So when he, re, you know, when he retired out as a cop, he has a ready-made business and he did it. And man, I can't tell you again, how many weekends and nights. I mean, he, he, he came in, he, he had a, he has a serious business and you know, it, I had to be careful because that's, it's the reverse of what I do with the Cal guard is that Bobby was working full-time and building a business part-time. I am running a business full-time and then do my weekend service, you know? And, and, and so we got to be careful to, 
But at some point, you know, when you transition now, Bobby, once he transitioned over, you know, he managed his time and his, you know, he, he valued his time. And I think that's really important. And a lot of people don't, you know, do. So let me ask you this Marines, you know, under fire. So when you get into Afghanistan, how did that, all that preparatory work out? Did, did, was it, was it instant? You just knew it or did it take a little bit of adjustment period? Um, there's definitely, I had a very unique, unique, um, situation. I worked on the command deck, um, with the, with, you know, the top level guys of the unit. So what we were supposed to spend a week in a bigger base, um, I spent a whole 24 hours and my star major walked in and like at four in the morning, he kicked my, kicked my sleeping bag, goes, get up, we're going in, like we're taking off and we took off. Um, I didn't get to have that whole week of prepper. I went straight into, you know, into the zone where we were supposed to be at into a, you know, they call it a fob forward absorbing base. Um, we got right into it and, and started turning over. They call it rip. Uh, we started ripping with the new, with the company going out and just started, you know, straight to it. You really, you, you have time to sit there and think about it, but you go straight into reacting. You, you got to go in there and you, you got to know what you're doing, you know, and, so you don't really have time to to sit there and be like, well, do I want to do this? Do I not? It's it's pick up and go. You know, when you're in that situation, you can train for a lot of stuff in different scenarios. But when you're in it, you know, there is that fear of the what if, you know, you start hearing the the loud booms, the you know, you start hearing things flying towards your head and just little zips, you know, just go or you start seeing the building getting hit with rounds. Um, you know, they got brave out there a couple of times, but. It's just the uh, unless unless you've experienced it and been there, it's kind of hard to talk about because put me in the ground right now and and it, and it, and it just instantly changes, you know, and you can instantly just go into that react mode and and flip a switch and then you're in that position where you can react to anything that comes your way at that point. Well, and it's 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 the training part that's key, right? It's the it's the training that has taken what's going to be a reaction, right? It's mm -hmm. it, it's going to be a reaction no matter what. But now you've taken this reaction and you've you've made it so that your reaction is still a calculated response, right? Through the training. Yeah. Yeah. And then you know some of the responses that we have, it, it we don't have five minutes to, you know, plan a uh, make a plan and all that. It's literally seconds of life or death situations um of how you're gonna react to something. You know, I, I saw a lot of stuff um you know, something comes to our fob, but you just hear a loud bang. And yeah, your natural instinct is to you know buckle, but you buckle for a second, and then you're you're taking off. You're you're on the you're on the move. You know, it, it, you don't have that time to sit there and you know. And, and a couple people, you know, react differently. The junior marines that weren't used to that, and you know, just coming in. Um, you know, the majority of the of the people that were deployed at the time when I was out there, they were literally twenty five. You know, eighteen years to twenty five years old. They didn't have that life experience. They didn't have all that. that's all they knew, you know, and it's um, so reacting is something that you did within, you know, within a second or two. It's like, yeah, you buckle, you hear it, your ears ring for a little bit and then boom, you're on the move, you know, the dust clears and, and you're, you're going. I can't tell who this is, but, but they said with great training, the reaction becomes a conditioned response. Yeah. It so, just comes to second nature. You know? Absolutely. Well, I walked Absolutely. into a restaurant with all you guys and Diane. I don't know if you remember that, Randy. We were up in Big Bear. Yep. Me and Diane walked in, and the way that you guys sat down, kind of, I just cringed. But it was like, I looked at Diane, Diane looked at me. We took a deep breath, and I was like, you good? And she's like, 
are you? I was like, as long as you got me, because my back was towards the wall. My back no, was towards yeah. that door. But she yeah. was like, I'm not going to take that seat. Yeah. <laughs> you know, Jason Bruno, you're just muscle memory. That That's a thing right there, you know. And, again, it comes down to instant obedience to orders, which we get it into um, by the drills that we did in the Marine Corps and the training. It's just constantly just training and training and training, training in the dark, training in the rain. It just everything has to function the same. Absolutely. You know, and, and it just it, it becomes second nature. And I think if you get into that, into the business side and you start doing practices and you train like you're going to conduct business and, you know, put yourself in those situations, you're only going to get better. So you're, you're going to train yourself. Um, had a conversation this weekend about public speaking. You know, some people are like, how can you get up there and just talk to 50 people without? I mean, yeah, it gets nerve wracking. But when you do it so much and you're constantly training to do public speaking, it becomes second nature. It, it doesn't even phase you if there's five people in the room or 5,000 people in the room at the end of the day, you're there to do something. So we do it, you know, and, you know, it's, and people ask me that all the time. Is it natural for you? And I'll say, no, man, I was a special ed kid. Uh, you know, I, I spent three years when the teacher would have me stand up and answer a question. I didn't know what the answer was. You just getting ridiculed by the other kids, you know? And, and so the last thing I ever wanted to do was stand up, but now, it's you could give me a subject, something that I don't even know about. I mean, it, it's, you know, uh, uh, planting a rose garden. Give me five minutes to, to read up on rose garden development and, and I'll speak about it. It's because, A, I take a deep breath and B, um, I just do it. You know, you just got to do it. And it's it's it, it's it's like going off the side. We have the leadership course and, you know, we had the exit out was a, a three story rock you know, we came off of that. We repelled off of it. And, you know, for me, it was that first time over and Oscar will say this too. When you, you know, yeah, if you haven't been on, you know, on the wall for a bit, that first time you go over it, it, it is nerve wracking, you know, um, it's like coming out of a helicopter when you haven't, you know, when, when, when you haven't done it in a bit, you know, it's, it's, um, it, it's a little nerve wracking. Right. But when you do it all the time, you, do you even think about it? Now, when I was going to Hurstmeister School, I told you like we had a we had a repel sixty time before we secured for the day. We were pretty much done at one o'clock, thirteen hundred, uh, doing all our knots and everything. It was a three week course that I went through. But then they were like, "Hey, sixty jumps before you go home." That's sixty times up that tower. It just became just repetitive, you know. Jason yep. Bruno again hit it right on. You know, repetition. It just becomes repetition when yep. you get up there, belay, you know, belay, belay. You know, you go out there, you drop. But when I was at a, when I was uh, up there at the leadership course. You know, Carlos from Uber Detail pulled me aside. He goes, man, how'd you do it? Like, you didn't show no fear. Again, a lot of it is like, was I scared going down? Yeah. Um, but you don't show fear. You don't show weakness. You don't show it. And, it, and again, it's that trigger that you can just put on. And it's, it's not putting on a show. It's literally, if, if you show fear, you show weakness, you're already telling yourself that you can't do it. You know, my, my, my going helmet. In and, I've got a patch yeah, on my that, helmet. I can't wait to see if I, I just got moved to another unit. I can't wait to see if they'll let me. I put it back on this last weekend. And it says, stop screaming. I'm scared too. Um, <laughs> but it's true. But no, you know, it, it's right. And Jason, we got to get you on here too and, 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 and kind of do the same thing. And so, so, so taking this back to, to business, and then we'll wrap up. We're going a little long, but this is great. This is this, this exactly what I wanted this Oscar is, you know, to, to talk about stress. Okay. So fear, managing fear, fear is one of the most amazing 
amazing emotions because fear can can do both. It can save you or it can kill you. And so, I mean, you, you you're in Afghanistan. How how do you how'd you cope with the? I mean, there's fear going on, right? But were you prepared for that fear? Um, we would like to think going into that we are. You know, going into is a long flight out there. You know, talking to the Marines to the left and to the right of us in the plane. You know, there's always that what if. But there's a point at that on that flight where they dim the lights. And I, I just remember sitting back and just looking and being like, you know, some of us ain't coming back. Like, ah, oh, man. You know, and, and that that is a fear. You know, yeah. that is a fear is that looking to that plane and saying, you know, some of us are just that's just that's just what it comes down to, you know. And, and once you get there, we don't think about it. You're just, you know, reacting. But, yeah, we took some, you know, we took some KIAs out there and, you know, a lot of wounded. Um. But that we were just prepared for that. And again, we train ourselves for that. You know, we train ourselves going into it to handle that, to to handle that stress, to deal with it, you know, to handle it. And you can train when it comes to something like that. But until you're actually doing it, that's when you're going to know that that training is going to kick in or it's not going to kick in. You know, we can train all day. We can train all day for, you know, uh, going into the water, you know water survival training and all that, but it's how you react when you get pulled down and, you know, does your muscle memory kick in on how to get out of a chokehold when you're getting choked underwater? You know, there's certain pressure points you got to hit. Do, do you automatically know how to react? Do you know how to react, you know, to an active shooter? You can train for an active shooter situation all day, but do you know how to react when your back is towards the door? You know, there's got to be certain things. And that's why when I walk into rooms, I'm scanning all the time. And, you know, you know how it is. I'm sure Jason, you know, you know, Nothing like you guys do, and I hope I never have to. And it's to. like, and, it, and it's just it's just every situation. And, you know, when I first came out, I think I've mellowed down a little bit, but it's never going to go. I don't think it's ever going to go away because I constantly practice it. It's constantly in the back of my mind. Like, you know, it's just something that you learn and you can't let go. Um, but, you know, bringing it into the business side, I think that's why I don't let things stress me out on the business side of the house because there's nothing as stressing as that. You know, we're not getting calls about that right now. We're not, it's, it's the calls we're getting are not about life or death situations. You know, we, you know, I had a, Chris even had a talk with me a, a few weeks ago and Diane mentioned it is that, you know, I left the, the local search and rescue team a few years ago to run, to be the, the OIC, the officer in charge of ground rescue training and certifications for the entire state. It was a big, it was a, it was a huge undertaking. <laughs> In normal military and government fashion, um, you know, the economies, they just slashed the whole program. It's gone. I mean, 10 years in the making, over 10 years, uh, hundreds of thousands of dollars, thousands and thousands of hours. And at a strike of a pin of somebody that knows nothing about it, it's gone. And I don't have that now in this new unit. I'm not going to have that adrenaline rush and I'm not going to have that sense of, giving back. And so, you know, I, I rejoined the team here, both on the ground and the mounted unit, because I realized very quickly when Chris said that, I'd really like to see you rejoin, you know, locally. He said that, and I told Diane, she goes, you're, you're going to go stir crazy, you know, if you don't have that. And you got to have something in your life that allows you that escape. And I think 
you know, the hardships of others, it's a burden, you know, when we go out on missions, but on the same token is we're, you know, we're, we're bringing, we're bringing, even in the worst situations, we're bringing family members home to families that may not have been brought home or, or may not, maybe, maybe they wouldn't have been found for a while. And there's that added stress. So uh, it's kind of interesting. So Chris, well, before we get out of here, you got any closing, closing questions, comments? Well, what you just said, right? You're bring you're bringing closure, no matter whether it's positive or negative. You're bringing closure, and that's the important part, right? Yeah, you know, there was a time when I res when when because I was you know reserve deputy. I was a level three, which means that you know I had to partner up. I had to have be with a full time deputy when I went on a patrol. Larry was my partner probably eighty percent of the time uh, here in California, and uh, you know up in Idaho, I was on a an apprehension team. We'd go after people in the wilderness. Um, done, I've done a, a little bit of that here too. Um, it just, I, I, it's, it's, I always, I always have respected law enforcement and military and that's why I want reserve status growing up in a tough town. It's real easy for people to throw stones at cops. Well, why don't you go become a reserve and be a good cop? I mean, if you've matter of fact, even at this age, it's, it's funny, this, the, the state of the, the world that we live in is I decided, okay, I'm going to go back and get my reserve back. I'm going to get my badge back. I'm going to go do some good things. And a good friend of mine, his family's legendary here in San Bernardino County and San Bernardino County, if you don't know, is the largest County in the country, uh, really good sheriff's department, great family environment, you know, on, I'm on their, their, their search and rescue team, but I decided to go back, you know, put my money where my mouth was, you know, and become a reserve again. And he came rolling up and he's like, dude, you can't do it. I'm like, what do you mean? I can't do it. And I said, you know, I mean, I thought he was talking about because I'm getting to the age. And he goes, no, 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 liabilities. He says, you know, and he, he starts telling me some of the things that cops are liable now for. That's insane to me. And he's right. I can't risk what I've built to go help others. How sad is that? And so, yeah. um, you know, it's just one of those things. So, Oscar, coming back, let's close it out, is that. You know, business, we've talked about your military career, but I think the reason why you came out, you're very systematic. You joined the chamber. You changed the chamber. You you did things locally. When the when the shutdown happened, you went right back to your roots of volunteering because even though you, you had a career in the military, it's a, it's a volunteer military. You're enlisted, right? And so how did all this help you in business, and what advice would you give somebody that's listening right now Maybe if they're struggling a little bit or they're, they want to get to the next level, what would you say to them? Um, you know, I, I feel that business is all about relationships. Um, I've always had a saying, you know, people got to know you, they got to like you, and they got to trust you. And that's when you're going to get their business is build the relationships. When you, when you see people, don't see them as they're just going to give you money and they're going to make you rich. You know, one of the biggest things that I, I see is, you know, this guy's got a Lamborghini, so I'm going to charge him extra. No, treat him the same. You know, treat everyone the same. Mm -hmm. Build the relationships. Um, just two weeks ago, I was at a car show here in uh, Ventura. They have the best of the West. And one of my clients came out. And, and he is a good client. You know, Randy, you know who he is. He came out from the Beverly Hills area. And and I don't know who told me where he just, he, he talks to me. He texts me. We talk about cars. And I told him about the car show. He goes, oh, I just want to go hang out. He literally came out and hung out with me and someone said he just wanted to be human. He just wanted to be normal who he was with you wow. hanging out at a car show, talking cars. And, and it, I don't think we would have been able to get that if I treated him based as a price tag on all the vehicles he, he has or he's brought me. 
And it's just build the relationships. It takes time. Be patient with it. Um, but, you know, what Rennie said, if you're not into the volunteering and, you know, and giving back, that's really what took my business off to the next level is the pandemic. I took the pandemic and it, I started volunteering in my food bank. Then they, they trusted me to do all the operations for all the food banks within my county. You know, I was doing seven, seven food banks a week, you know, seven days a week. I was working straight, whether it was two hours or eight hours. And that whole time, everybody was shut down. And I wouldn't say complaining, but, you know, businesses were shut down. I was out there meeting people that wanted to volunteer, too. And those people became my friends and then they became clients. Now, a lot of I've had someone tell me, well, you only volunteer to get clients. Well, yeah, there's always the business side of it. Right. But not every person that I came across is my client. Some of them literally became my friends. And, you know, we still do things together. We still help each other out in the community. They still ask me for advice when it comes to events. So, you know, be patient. If you're struggling in the business side, go, don't go find clients. Go build relationships. Yeah, go, go, in, go, yeah. go out and build the relationships with other business yeah. owners. The same yeah. people that are struggling with you and your detail business, the same, it's the same coffee shop that's struggling trying to get people in to get coffee. Because guess what? It's so easy to make coffee at home than to go down the street and support that local business. It's a great way to look at it. It's pretty easy to wash your car at home, but I, you know, I make coffee here, but you know, it, that's a great analogy is make it to where they want to come to you. Make it where yeah. it's something enjoyable. I love it. Well, Hey, this is, thanks for opening up. I know a lot of people that have served, you know, don't, I won't say don't like to share, but it's not easy. And, um, you know, I appreciate you for what you've done. I can't imagine what your journey's been like, you know? Um, but then again, I mean, I look at other people that have struggled through business and I can't imagine what they're, you know, everybody's journey's different, right? Because the structure of our, of our youth, the structure of our, of, of what we're exposed to, of how we, of how we view things, who we surround ourselves with, it all creates different struggles for each and every one of us. And, you know, I was told this one time, uh, I've got a really good first sergeant that's, you know, he's really, he's one of my best friends. He's been a, he's been a mentor and coach to me both in life and in, in the, in the guard. Um, and it's funny because people will say, you know what, it's leadership. I outrank him, but I don't because when it comes to it, I go to him for advice because he sees things as a senior NCO that I just, I don't even get eyes on. Right. And I value his perspective and the same in business. We've got young people that view things differently and I just honor their views and you're definitely one of them. So I think this was cool. I hope yeah. that everybody got something out of it and uh, we'll be all seeing you just a reminder, a plug, Hey, share this. If you've enjoyed it, uh, yep. we want to thank PNS for making it happen. Dynabate braid for making it happen. Chris for orchestrating it. Oscar for being here. Buff and shine. You're always a great partner. Uh, come to our party Wednesday night, SEMA. Go get your tickets. Absolutely free. We're going to earn some, uh, we're going to go out and raise some serious money. Matter of fact, um, I had a woke up at five something this morning and was like, eh, I ain't going back to sleep. So I just started thinking about how we can impact lives at SEMA. So I came up with some new ideas. I'll put the paper, uh, today and, uh, we'll go from there. There's Chris just brought it up. 10th annual gathering of detailing professionals. And uh, we're going to have a good time. We're going to have a great time. And uh, it's, it's always fun to see so many friends. And we, uh, we just can't wait to uh, have you there. So, 
Yep. Hey, and, do, and do me a favor, guys, if you're watching this, go out and find some of our social media posts promoting this event and share it for us, please. That'd be awesome. Yeah. We we just, and, and again, we're not doing this for profit. We're doing this to, to we've got, we've got SEMA cares, which is, is going to benefit three um, nonprofits that are, are all aimed at helping children. And yep. so we take a hundred percent last year, uh, Diane and I rounded off the donation to get it up higher. And so we don't, we don't make a single dime on this. It, 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 we we invest just like you do in it. And, and the so whole, the, we, the whole purpose is to do something fun as an industry and make a difference at the same time. Absolutely. So, all right, all, um, Oscar, thanks. Thanks a ton for being on and, uh, go to the gym. I'm going to go work out right now. Go change real quick work out. We'll, uh, we'll talk to you all on the backside. Everybody have a good week. The rest of the week. We'll see you at SEMA. We're only uh, a couple weeks out. Not even that. We'll see you all. Sounds good, guys. Thank you, guys. Yep. Yeah. See you, guys. Thanks for listening to the Rennie Doyle Podcast, brought to you by Detailing Success and PNS Double Black. Listen to new episodes weekly, and be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. And don't forget to share with your friends and colleagues. 